Blog Talk Radio. Thursday afternoon, Randy Zellier from BackSportsMajor.com with uh, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Bill Ingram. You might have heard of him from Hoops Hype. For all the Hoops sites that have been made and made famous, there's the man behind the <laughs> the pen, the internet. I, I was trying to figure out, find a better way the to keyboard. Uh, build you up. Yeah, the keyboard. Yeah, the keyboard, the, <laughs> the, 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 ink, the ink, was it the felt, the felt pens? The the camera, the uh, digital recorder, the (laughs) (laughs) you name it, the tape recorder, the the eight tracks. You know, uh, he's been there from the beginning. So it's uh, (laughs) it's uh, Bill Ingram. So Bill, uh, you know what? It's funny. It's like you know we were talking about what we were going to do during the show, and our original plan got sort of postponed for a week because you know I was talking with a couple people, and you and I were talking, and I just think. What we we have to come up with a concept that was going to be different, and so starting next week, I think we, we should just real quick talk about the concept that we're going to do. Um, I just think because of your experience, for both of our experiences covering the NBA, you know, you've been doing it for twenty to twenty-five years. Uh, I've been covering the NBA in all sports for since two thousand three, so we're looking at sixteen years between the two of us. I think you and I have a pretty good handle on the league and the league history, and. We just didn't want to fall into that trap of we didn't want to fall into that trap of being just another basketball podcast talking about the same stuff. And well, yeah, because everybody has I, an I, opinion, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Like, every, give, we give me a, like, give me an event, and I, and everybody everybody in the arena has an opinion. Right, and not, and not only that, but you know, and I can say this because we're not FCC regulated, but you know, you know, opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got one. So, you know, it's, that's it's exactly just the what way it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I said, we're not, we're not FCC regulated, so I can say whatever I want. And so, um, you know, <laughs> I think <laughs> so. And that's what usually what you get with me. It's going to usually be some sort of crazy Lambcast thing that's going to come out of my mouth. Like, you know, <laughs> what was it? Like, the, like the Denver Nuggets being the eighth seed in the playoffs. It's like, you know, it's, it's crazy. But with that being said, <laughs> I, I think the way you and I were discussing how we're, we were going to want to do this is, 
we're going to pick some different topics through the, uh, the last 20 years that we're going on in the NBA. So like for next week, next week we've already picked out the topic for the show. We are, we are going to talk about uh, Clyde the Glide Drexler. Uh, we're going we're to pipe it up on social media, let people send over some questions that they have about that particular topic and what happened with Clyde Drexler being traded to the Houston Rockets. And we're going to give a little bit of background of what happened with Clyde about his and career, his days. That's of a... and tra- well, Charles Barkley will be the tail end of that story, but definitely I know that's going to be. Yep. But, but no, he was, I, he was I, the I, end I, of the story. <laughs> <laughs> he was the bookend of Clyde's career, uh, Clyde the Glide's uh, career. But we'll talk a little bit about, you know, his Clyde's background, what happened, your experiences. And, and hey, his, of, uh, his, his draft story is one of my all-time favorite draft stories, and we'll reveal it next week. But when I was talking to Carol Dawson right before he retired, he was a longtime general manager of the Houston Rockets. And I sat in his office with him right before he retired, did this massive interview. And one of the things he told me was a deal that was offered to the Rockets that would have absolutely changed the history of the NBA that the Rockets turned down. And that is where we'll start next week's show. Yeah, and you know what? We know what we, what we call that in a business. We call that a teaser. That's what we call a teaser <laughs> in the business. <laughs> so we call that a teaser. So, so we're gonna be doing great topics like that. We'll also look at some teams like seasons. Like I know you when I when I was messaging you the idea of doing the uh, ninety five ninety six Bulls. <laughs> Your reaction was classic, but there's so much, so much stuff that we can be touching on that's a focus on just one particular topic that I don't think anybody else is really doing. So I figure why not you and I, since we both have a lot of different um, history of covering this league that we have so much, so much experience. That's awesome. I think that's awesome that we can, uh, we can go back and revisit and find some quotes and things that people said, and even during the week, maybe find someone who can even hop on with us to discuss the topic as well. So it's, it's well, and there's a, there's so much that when you understand the perspective of the past, I think that's so lost uh, for people who are, you know, maybe younger or, or weren't aware, weren't watching, or, you know, when you talk about nineties, eighties and nineties NBA is it was a vastly different game than what you see today. And it was different in big ways and small ways. Of course, the three point line was further out, but it was a much more physical game. There were heated and hated rivalries in the NBA Players on opposite teams would never have, I mean, Michael Jordan would no more have joined like Stockton and Malone. No, they hated each other. They wanted to beat each other so bad. Elijah Wan would never have played with Ewing. That was not, no, (laughs) that rivalry went back to college. Now all these guys want to play together. It's a kinder, gentler NBA. But that perspective, I think, is lost in, in the modern league. And before you can truly appreciate where the league is and how it got here, I think you need to understand where it came from. Agreed. Agreed. And one of the topics I'm looking forward to talking with you about is the 94-95 NBA Finals, the Houston Rockets versus the uh, Orlando Magic. That's going to be a topic with you. That That's going to be a very interesting topic as we break down that series and what happened and, you know, the, the Shaq versus Elijah Wan matchup. Uh, it's It's we're going to break That's it down. That's one of all-time really great. I mean, that, that league was defined by the center position, and at that time, that was the premier ticket, Olajuwon versus yeah. O'Neal. And, of course, Akeem yeah. schooled him to death. 
but <laughs> but uh, yeah, two totally was, different types of centers going head to head. That was that was man. I that was. Whew. I loved the NBA then, like completely loved it. No, oh yeah, me too. And like we were we were discussing this. Me and you were discussing this, and Gary and I were discussing this as well, and many other people were discussing this topic in a different in some different ways, but. You know, I brought up the seventy-two and ten Bulls and the sixty-three and nine, or sorry, the seven-three and seventy-three and nine uh, Warriors, and everyone keeps on saying who would be a better team. I, I keep on saying is that the Warriors would never have been able to play in that NBA era back at that point because if you tried to go down no. the go down the lane, you're going to get knocked down. <laughs> That's not, right. You're not getting back up. This this year this no uh, you, NBA, you you can't even compare the style of play. You, shoot. They changed the rules. Uh, they called it the Derek Harper rule, right? You're not allowed to guard anybody anymore because of the 94 NBA finals between the Knicks and the Rockets. These were the two best defensive teams in the league. You couldn't score on Houston. If you dared go in the lane, Olajuwon was sending that out. And he would get you from the weak <laughs> side, from the strong side. You could try to shoot a three. He'd get to it. He got to everything, all-time league leader in, shot, in block shots. But also – you had great perimeter defenders, Vernon Maxwell, Kenny Smith, and then the Knicks with Derek Harper and John Starks, and also a shot blocker in the middle, and tough as nails, Charles Oakley and Anthony Mason. And these, these were brutal teams. You didn't, Kenny Smith, you know the reason he limps? Because he had to play against Anthony Mason and Patrick Ewing and Charles Oakley. <laughs> you know, this, people were brutalized in that series. The league changed the rules because that was such a knockdown, drag-out series. Uh, obviously, with Houston yeah. winning in the end, which I was overjoyed about, but that I loved it. Defense, like wow, every possession was so difficult, uh, and I just yeah. think that perspective is lost now. And not only that, but what, what makes it even better is I have this pulled up. There is only out of the seven-game series. This is the this is gonna be the part that freaks everybody out. You ready? The the part that freaks everybody out is. There was not one game where either team scored 100 points. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. No, completely. 85, it just didn't 85 happen. To 70, 85 to 78 game one, 91 to 83 game two, 93 89 game three, 91 82 game four, 91 to 84 game five, game six, 86 to 84, and then game seven, 90 to 84. So that was defensive basketball back in that back in the day. And no, seventy-eight you know, that's points in a finals game. Imagine <laughs> seventy-eight points in a finals game. That's the third quarter. Now, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're, no, you're hundred percent correct. It's, but it's, it's crazy. But the league has changed a lot of things. It's just like baseball. Oh no, they haven't changed the ball. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, when McGuire and Sosa had their big battle for the home run uh, championship, which I loved that. I was living in St. Louis. I was going to college, went to a lot of Cardinals games and watched McGuire a whole lot. But since then, I think baseball saw, baseball saw that and totally changed the makeup of the ball. Now home runs are hit like it's, it's hit. They're hit like nothing. Offense is a big deal now. The NBA did the same thing. They changed the rules. They brought the three-point line in. They made it where you're not allowed to defend anybody, really, and did away with all kinds of the rules of, you know, the paint rules and help defense and zone. Like they did a lot of things 
that make it much easier for guards to penetrate and put up big numbers, and that's why we see the scores like they are. And, you know, a lot of people are happy about that. Clearly the league is as more popular than it's ever been, so I guess it's the right thing. But from my perspective, growing up watching defense, I'm like, man, I miss the days where you were allowed to play defense because <laughs> it's just now it's like, ugh. You watch it now, and it's like, okay, this is this is like Bud Light when you want to dose Equis. Like, okay, just doesn't quite do the job. Well, what was funny to me was at this time during that during that year, I was about fourteen years old, and I remember watching in the Eastern Conference playoff series. I was watching that second round or the second round battle from the. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It was the conference finals between the Knicks and the Pacers, and. Oh, I was yeah. watching Game Five, and, and the Knicks the Knicks were ahead, and I fell asleep during Reggie Miller's historic fourth quarter. And <laughs> like right right before it started, I, went, I I fell asleep like going into the fourth quarter, and then he waking up the next morning, and I heard what happened. I'm like, oh my god! And I will tell you that special that ESPN did that 30 for 30 game you know game time Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks, where chronicled right. the two years of playoffs, might be one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. Um, about a a real rivalry in the NBA. It was it was only two years, but man, and it actually went a little further along. But man, like Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks in that time frame, you can't tell me there was not more must must see TV in the NBA at that point in time. Can you imagine Reggie Miller then going, "Hey, I'm going to go play for the Knicks"? Absolutely <laughs> not. No. Uh, freaking way that never would have happened not like today hey i need to stop for a second and give two shout outs i got two shout outs anna tabler number one who accused me of just being a a rockets homer after last week's podcast which i'm not but i love the rockets but i'm not a homer uh no i try to treat yeah uh, i try to treat all teams equally i'm interested in a lot of teams besides houston uh but the other one is jonathan hannah who is my cousin, who is aspiring to be uh, in the sports world in some capacity. And uh, I told him I would give him a shout-out because he listened to the podcast and said, that is great. Um, so I told him, tell him to run this week, you're getting tell a shout-out. Tell him to run. Tell him to run. Tell, yeah. him, tell him to be a doctor. Absolutely. Be an accountant. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. So if you want a shout-out, send me a question. Challenge me on something at Twitter, uh, on Twitter, at the Rocket Guy. Send me a question. Challenge me. I'm up for it, man. Bring it on. Yeah, uh, I love the debate. Gonna... I love the. I love to answer challenges, and uh, and we will do that. And Randy will too. Um, but oh, I think yeah. that's what it's all about. <laughs> we all have our perspectives and and things that we care about. Uh, but I will well, also say that uh, the the whole thing with Houston we're, we're, is it's. Do I? Please. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was about to say we're gonna we're gonna open the forum up. We're gonna open a Twitter account for uh, so people can send us questions once we announce the topics, and people are gonna be able to vote on the topics too. And like I said, you've been look. You're not a Houston homer. I've heard you you know you go at bash pretty them. hard too. And, <laughs> oh, <laughs> in fact, Daryl Morey used to get mad at me, uh, and my I had a good friend Sam Hinky was the vice president of basketball ops for the Rockets. Then went on to be the GM of the of the Sixers, and honestly. The Sixers are as good as they are because of work that he did, though it took a while. Um, but Sam would tell me, man, I'm, I'm getting heat from Daryl because you're being hard on him. I'm like, well, Daryl's making stupid moves. <laughs> like, 
like like at the end of the season, just announcing to the media that pretty much everybody's for sale. How does that make your team feel? How's that for team chemistry? But uh, not to get too far afield, though, I want to stick with your Reggie Miller thing because in the history of the league, there, and we talked about this a little bit last week with Dominique Wilkins, there are these amazingly great players, first ballot Hall of Fame players who never got a championship. And the reason they never got a championship is usually because there was one team or one player who was just even more amazing. And Reggie Miller never got a championship primarily because of Michael Jordan, just like Dominique Wilkins didn't get a championship primarily because of Michael Jordan. Stockton and Malone didn't get a championship because of Houston, number one. Houston eliminated them quite often. I loved that. But also, the two times they got to the finals, Michael Jordan. You know, there are great players, amazing players who never got a ring. It doesn't mean they weren't amazing. I mean, Dominique Wilkins, wow. But it's just that Jordan was slightly more wow. (laughs) And that's the way the NBA goes. Yeah, and and look, we also at one point or another, you one of the topics that will be on the poll will be Michael Jordan's return to um, the NBA after his baseball experiment. <laughs> you know, like, oh yeah, we'll, we will talk. <laughs> yeah, we we will talk about that at some point or another. But man, I got to tell you, you know, you talk about a guy like Reggie Miller, and and we talk about that thing with the New York Knicks, and I let's 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 discuss this. You think about the 90s, the 1990s, since Kareem, since Kareem retired, you look, the, the, the decade started with the Pistons, the bad boy Pistons, uh, Joe Dumars, Lambeer, Rodman, Isaiah Thomas, they got a championship, both in 89 and 90. Then in 91, 92, 93, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Horace Grant, that team, uh, John Paxson, I'll tell you, you, you can match that first three-peat team against any other team that's ever played and it's going to be something to talk about because yeah. that, that Bulls team was that Bulls team was something then you had the two teams the thing we never saw that I would have the thing I wanted to see so desperately in the 90s was Rockets versus Bulls and we never got it yeah I think and it that, been interesting. that to me I, because Olajuwon was was just a, a train wrecker for the Bulls because they didn't have, you know, they're playing Luke Longley and Bill Cartwright and all these. And Akeem was just, he just mauled the Bulls every time they played each other, but they never met in the finals. Um, the first year Houston was in the finals. It was because Jordan was not with the Bulls. So, uh, you know, New York got there. And then the next year Jordan played, but he wasn't Jordan-esque quite yet and was eliminated. And so it was Shaq versus Akeem, which was great. But the thing we never got that would have been, you know, of all the things you'd have liked to have seen would have been Olajuwon versus Jordan. But denied, we never got to see that. Well, uh, let's, I wanted to go back to the topic that you brought up before was the list of guys from the 90s. Like you had the two Houston Rocket teams, um, and then you had another three-peat by the Bulls. Then you had the Spurs, and then it was the Lakers three-peat. So, yep. if you look at how many And then it guys, was Spurs, 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 Spurs. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that what? was right they, before they then, the, then the Spurs took over for the next. 
I used to tell people, yeah, I cover the I cover the NBA finals every year, so I spend June in San Antonio. (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong. (laughs) Um, You're really not wrong. But like, if you look at it, how many teams like Dave? Like, you look at the guys who were on the original Dream Team, which was considered the best all-around team. Wow, I mean the the talent on that team. Yeah, you look how many. Yeah, Christian Leitner. Yes. Later, Christian Leitner was on that squad. <laughs> but after Leitner, who was – yeah, yeah. And that was the team that the whenever they played, the opposing team was falling all over themselves getting autographs because it was Magic Johnson, it was Akeem Olajuwon, it was Larry Bird, it was Chris Mullen, it was Clyde Drexler. It was, you know, this – just everybody on that team was – Incredible. Now, most of the star players don't really want to do that because they're too busy, blah, 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 whatever, during the summer. But, I mean, this year's team is, I'm sure, going to win gold. But it's not the star, it's not the A-tier NBA players anymore. But for a while there, the NBA was sending, like, the wrecking crew to the Olympics. And, they, I mean, those there's your scores. You know, the Team USA, none of those games were even remotely close. Actually, there was one guy that I can remember did not want to take any pictures with those guys. He was more interested in beating them, was Draws and Petrovic, but ended up at some points when Croatia was playing them. Petro, it was like a one-on-five, but Petro held his own. <laughs> yeah, held his own and, that, and man, imagine if he hadn't died. Uh, that guy. Oh, he, he was, yeah, he would have been. I'd have loved to see him. And, and, there's, there's two guys that I would really wish we could, like, Go back in time and and avoid their deaths and watch it, it draws in, and the other one is Len Bias. I mean, whew, man, you talk about somebody that was going to take the league by storm, and then you know you lose them. Uh, just it's you know the shocking situation where somebody dies. But uh, those were great. You know, we've been denied some great memories <laughs> from some players like that. Yeah, and Petro, I had met Petro when I was 13. I had won a contest that the Nets were running. You can pick a player, like it's one of those things where you can pick a player to shoot around with, and I picked Petrovic, and I, I watched him hit 37 three-pointers in a row. I practiced. Wow. Yep. <laughs> so he was something else. And, you know, and it's a shame that that story to this day is still one of the saddest uh, stories. You talk to Kenny Anderson, you, you talk to Derek Coleman. Those were guys who, you know, again, all the talent in the world those two guys had. And after Petro passed away, that team, uh, that Nets team fell apart in uh, in spades. And Coleman, you know, Coleman, I don't know if you remember, I don't know if you remember when Derek Coleman came into the league in 1990, but when he made it into the playoffs against the Cavaliers, and even when he played against the Knicks in that series, he was averaging 20 and 20. Which was yeah, insane was back then. He was like I, I don't know what happened, um, but he was something else. And and Kenny, I never felt that Kenny really re- recovered from the the broken hand injury from John Starks. And I remember meeting John Starks <laughs> for the first time. You'll appreciate this, Bill. I said I I told John I'm like John, how do you feel knowing that it's the curse of John Starks that held the Nets back all these years? And he said, well, what do you mean by that? I said, you, well, you took out Kenny Anderson, Petro passed away, Chuck Daly retired, 
And then after that, they were in they were in uh, you know purgatory until you retired and Jason Kidd came over. He retired the same time Jason <laughs> Kidd came over to the next. And he laughed. He was laughing that he was like, "Wow, I didn't realize that happened." But if you look at it, <laughs> Kenny Anderson, you know Kenny Anderson's story. You know he was he had a great career. He made a lot of money, but he uh, basically you know did not have the same success he had in his early years that he had with uh, New Jersey, including an All Star, an All Star uh, appearance. Yeah, because he was really good, really good early in his career. But yeah. but we see that we see a guy um, that's really good, and then there's some injury, uh, and then they're never quite the same player. You always wonder, like Kevin Durant, you know. How good is he going to be post-injury? I like to look at Amari Stoudemire as a guy that had that awful where they drill holes in your knee and inject stuff. and like it, 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 But he was great after that. He, he came through it. You know, we've seen some players have those injuries and come back, and they're still great. But we've seen a lot of players where there's an injury, and they're just never quite the same player. Uh, and, it's, and it's so disappointing. Yeah, well, Stoudemire, I actually thought with Amari Stoudemire, and you can tell me a few things that I'm wrong on this, but I think Stoudemire was his best when Shaq came over because it forced him to develop a game outside the paint because he was not going to well, get inside the paint with Shaq, with Shaq being there. It's interesting that you bring that up because there's been this, I guess, Twitter war or whatever between Shaq and Kobe still – both are retired, and yet we're still <laughs> barbing with each other. Uh, Shaq, to me, as much as Kobe, I, I have a great deal of respect for Kobe. I got to know him as a player. We did lots of video. If you look me up on YouTube, Bill Ingram NBA, you'll see me talking to Kobe. Uh, we got very close uh, in terms of a professional relationship, and I have the utmost respect for him, though I never was a Lakers fan. So full disclosure, just it, it became being around Kobe – I gained a great deal of respect for him. So when he says Shaq didn't work out, Kobe's actually saying something about Shaq. But what I will say about Shaq is that any moment that he's on the floor is much like a king. So many people on your team had to be concerned with stopping Shaq because it couldn't be done, that it left a lot of guys open, you know, and just like the Rockets, um, you know, in those championship games, the, the two championship years, Akeem had so many great shooters around him, and you couldn't not double or really triple team him. And Akeem could either score anyway. He just sort of did that dream shake, dance, spin, boom, he'd score. Didn't matter who was defending him. Or there'd be so many guys on him that he'd pick out. Sam Cassell, Robert Ory, Kenny Smith, Vernon Maxwell, then Clyde Drexler, Matt Bullard. Pete Chilka, whoever was standing out on the three-point line, he'd pick them out, and they're wide open. And Shaq was that way. Shaq was so dominant. that, And granted, the league allowed him to run people over like a diesel, but, <laughs> but he was so dominant. You had no choice. Anybody playing with him is going to be better because they're going to be open. And you're absolutely right. Amare, though he was wonderful in that Mike D'Antoni offense without Shaq, when Shaq gets there, and Amari steps out and develops that mid-range shot, made him that much better too. Uh, and that's what a great player does. A great player makes everyone around them better. 
And this is the key from being great to being elite to being a superstar, a term that's overused, is the superstar understands that his job is to make every – yes, your job is to dominate, number one. But number two, your job is also to recognize the fact that because you have the ability to dominate, you also have the ability and responsibility to make your teammates better. So few players have really understood that. Well, here's my question to you. Since Shaq, you brought up the idea of Shaq. I don't want to say the idea, but you brought up the Shaq that was dominant. Do you think when Shaq started winning his championships in 2000 when he was a member of the Los Angeles Lakers, that there wasn't really the same crop of centers and or at the same level they were in the 90s? So he didn't have no completely right the, the David Robinson, the Patrick Ewings, the Kim Elijahs, the Brad Darries every single night to go at it with him. So yeah, you that's, think, that's exactly right. So do you think it's it's fair like to to say that Shaq was dominant when he was going against guys who were like I hate to say the Brad Millers of the world, but that's what he was going against. <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't having you know what I mean that like was the big rival, you're was right. Hit, yeah, Alonzo Mourning was in and out of the lineup at that point with health issues. So he wasn't there battling with Shaq every single night. So who was Shaq? Right. Like Rick Smith was not around as much. When he, when he was there, he wasn't the same guy he was back in 94, 95. So I guess my question is in that sense, we're saying that Shaq was a dominant center. He was dominant in a time where there was no dominant centers in the league against him. Does that so, – uh... In any way, the fact that that that, that is true, then you're you're absolutely right. The centers were dying off. The, the great centers were dying off in, in in a sense that the league was no longer about that. But let's talk about uh, Bill Russell. Eleven championships. When people talk about who's the greatest player of all time, and they talk about Michael Jordan, he has six championships. Okay, but Bill Russell has eleven. And in the eleventh, he was the head coach as well as the star player. But you can put the same asterisk on there. Bill Russell was playing at a time where there was only one other seven-footer in the entire NBA, and that was Wilt Chamberlain. Does that mean Bill Russell wasn't a dominant player? Absolutely not. Now, if you put Shaq up against – well, we saw him against Hakeem. Hakeem is a player – Hakeem Olajuwon, you can put him in the NBA in any era. You can put him in the NBA today in his prime, and he'll dominate. Because Hakeem could shoot the mid-range. I mean, he could shoot the three. Remember the, the shot, Bob Hill right behind him. He's, they're playing the Spurs in the, in the playoffs. And Bob Hill's behind him, and he pulls up for three, and Bob Hill's waving his arms. Don't let him shoot from three. There was a terrific sequence in the – finals against Boston, which they did lose, where Hakeem had four plays in a row where he stole the ball, dribbled it, linked to the court, and scored on the other end. Hakeem could dominate in the Bill Russell era. He did dominate in the 80s, 90s, and he could dominate today because he had so many tools. But Shaq, if Shaq was playing against David Robinson, Hakeem, Brad Doherty, uh, Mark Eaton, you know, those guys, when, when the centers ruled the league, would he still have been as dominant? No. 
Completely not. Yeah. Yeah, and it's we 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 give Shaq I think a little bit too much love with that. I've always I've always said that that he was a huge man playing in a time where he was not the uh, he wasn't as dominant as everybody thinks he was. I think that's I think that's the best way of saying it. So, but that's also just I mean I when he won with with the Lakers, he had an amazing player to play off of. Kobe was always better than Shaq, and then he got to Miami. And he's playing with Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade was always better than Shaq. You know, so... Well, it was Batman and Robin. But, but the, Batman. The, it, totally, Batman and Robin. The question, though, is if Shaq had played 10 years earlier when the league was all about centers, would he have... Would that have affected his game? Would he have trained a different way? You know, I, I had a chance to sit in, uh, in a king's living room in a moment that I'll never, no matter whatever, what happens ever with me in the NBA, no moment will top this. Yes, Anna Tabler, I'm a huge Rockets homer. But I sat in the Keem's living room, <laughs> invited me over, and we talked about this issue. That Hakeem changed the game. He's a transformative player who could dominate any time. But he said, look, if I, had play, if I were playing now in the modern NBA, when we understand so many things about your body and all the t- every trainer's got their players doing yoga before games to loosen up, and it's great for longevity. It's great. He said, I'd still be playing. He was 50 when he told me this. Because when I was a player, you know, we did like some push-ups and went out and played. We didn't have this understanding of how the body works and how to, how to strengthen how to prepare for games, how to really keep your body healthy. And he missed games because of injuries a lot, you know. A lot of players did. He said, we just didn't understand. Now with all this body science that we've figured out, he said, shoot, if I was playing today, if, I, if I'd had yoga and all this strength and conditioning stuff they do now, I could still play. So, that would be scary, actually. You know, you do what? That would be scary. No, it would. That'd be very it'd, scary. It'd be scary. But, I mean, have you seen the video of him at 50 years old absolutely torching Dwight Howard? Like, <laughs> he just absolutely torched well, him. Dwight went to see Akeem, exactly. and Akeem do, do what? Scary, that, I was going to say, that's the scary thing, because you take a guy like Dwight Howard, and I know you and, you know he was a very big topic of what we were talking about last week. But if you look yeah. back to, to Dwight Howard – and he had one of the best offensive players, in, in, in offensive centers in NBA history, and Patrick Ewing as his big man coach. And he still couldn't shoot a free throw. Yeah. What does that say about Dwight Howard and his work ethic? Yeah, I've never That's liked that, Dwight Howard's work ethic. Never. I didn't yeah. like it in Orlando so, where I covered him. I, I lived in Orlando. My first gig was covering the, the Orlando Magic. When he came to Houston, everybody, I literally, there was a headline in the Houston Chronicle that said the, ne- the, the next coming of Akeem Olajuwon. And I told Jonathan Fagan, who's a friend of mine, I said, look, either people that, and he wasn't the one, in all fairness, he didn't write that story. I said, look, people who think that Dwight Howard is the second coming of Akeem Olajuwon either didn't watch Akeem or haven't watched Dwight. Because their similarity ended at height. Akeem was a relentless worker, relentless, 
And winning was all that mattered. He was an assassin, the way that they were in the 80s. Jordan, an assassin. Dominique, Ewing, these guys, winning was breathing, right? Like Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. Isaiah Thomas and Magic Johnson were great friends off the court. The minute the ball went up, they hated each other. Dwight has never taken the game that way. For Dwight, it's like, yo, look, I got big muscles. I'm like Superman. <laughs> Watch me dunk. Ha-ha. The ball should run through me. Well, I'm ask, the guy. Let me ask you a question. It's never been about the game. Part, but, you, but you just talked about, you know, we're killers and, yes, good friends off the court. But as soon as the uh, the ball the ball went up and, and, the, and the games played, they became, uh, I don't want to say enemies, but like obviously you had to kill them to beat them. Do you think that Jason Kidd as a coach had that problem in Brooklyn when he was coaching guys against coaching guys like Garnett and Paul Pierce? That it was the he still had that player's mentality. And you're playing against guys you, you're trying to coach guys that you went to war against and you just retired. I think that was some of it. The other problem Jason Kidd had was that Lawrence Frank was his assistant coach and Lawrence Frank mistakenly thought he was the head coach. <laughs> And so there was this war going on behind the scenes between Kidd and Frank because Lawrence Frank really was a coach and Jason Kidd really wasn't. Jason Kidd was the name. Um, that was a huge part of that problem. Uh, and then Jason Kidd gets to Milwaukee and really just doesn't – really, it's just he's just not a great coach. Everybody thought, oh, he's court vision, you know, great point guards make great coaches sometimes. Doc Rivers, you know. But Kid just didn't figure that out. I love Jay Kid. He was here in Dallas, you know, got to know him. Good, great guy. Uh, I really thought he'd be a great coach, but he's <laughs> he's had problems making that adjustment from player to coach. Absolutely. On the court, he was a killer too. He was another one of those. Uh, he was another killer on the court. Jason was. You know, you got to you got to oh, kill him to beat dagger. him. Dagger. And, it, um, the finals when they when the Mavs won the finals with him, he, you know, <laughs> made some incredible plays. Absolutely, you know, as much as Dirk was Finals MVP, and I love to talk about Jason Terry because behind the scenes, if you were in that Mavericks locker room that year, Jason Terry was the <laughs> he was the man. I mean, absolutely the man. But Jay Kidd, you know, Dirk, one time we were talking to him about, you know, Jason Kidd's passing ability, and he said, the thing is, you've got to – you always have to know where Jason Kidd is on the floor, and you have to know where you are because if you're open, he'll know it, and you might not. And he said, occasionally I get hit in the head with a ball because I'm open, and Jason knows it, and I don't. And so he'll hit me <laughs> in the face with the ball. He's like, you have yeah. – playing with Jason Kidd – forces you to be more aware of the court and spacing because he is hyper aware. You know, unfortunately to date, that hasn't translated into him being a great coach. Well, I was here in Jersey when he was here, you know, going to the NBA finals and just, Oh, it was great. simply amazing. Every, every Van Horn. Yeah. Well, yeah. And even the second year against with, uh, with Richard Jefferson and, yeah. You know, that, that second squad, I honestly felt that the the, te- the next team that played San Antonio should have been the one that played against the uh, Lakers and vice versa. That Van Horn team, if that initial Jason Kidd, Keith Van Horn 
Kenny Martin team would have played the Spurs. The spacing and the scoring is what the Nets needed to beat the Spurs. The that the the year the the team that the Nets played against the Spurs with that had the Kemi Mutombo and that group would have benefited against playing the Lakers. And I think they would have gotten yeah. a championship out of one of the two if there was if the coaching was a little bit better against San Antonio. Byron Scott made some terrible coaching decisions in that game six, which ended up costing them the game and eventually the series. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. I love Byron Scott. I got mm-hmm. to know him as a coach. I wasn't covering Lee when he was a player, but not. I did never think he was a great coach. Well, what ended up happening there too is you don't you don't be up ten points. You don't you don't stay ten points up on a team, and then uh, take out the guys who gave you that lead, and then put guys in yeah. who have not played all game. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, no. I know Rodney Rogers hit some big shots for you. Yeah, I know Rodney Rogers hit some big shots for you during the year, but we can go oh, without Rodney seeing him for a few minutes. Yeah, yeah same <laughs> what happened with him, isn't it? Yep. Poor Rodney. I loved, I loved Rodney. He was he was a good guy. I, I hope his I hope his uh, I hope his his health has gotten better. That his story has has had a tragic ending so far. Um, yeah. He's being, he for for those for those who don't know, Rodney is um, stuck in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. So, um, yeah, I wish I hope That's I tough. he was always very nice with me. Yeah, he was always very nice to me when he was when we were around the team. Um, pushing back with uh, one of the other topics that we were talking about are guys who've uh, never won a championship. Uh, the top guys who played in that Jordan era. Now, you look at guys like Barkley. Uh, you look at guys like Stockton and Malone, Ewing. Um, like you said before, they just ran into Jordan. <laughs> yes. And it's, and it's a shame to say it like that, but it's really the truth. They just ran into Jordan. Like, if you look at that roster, how many guys didn't win a championship on that team? I'm going to... Um, well, and that that Phoenix team with Barkley uh, was really an incredible team. Uh, they were huge rivals with the Blazers uh, at the time, of course. And the Blazers got to the finals a couple times and didn't win because of <laughs> because of Michael. But that Barkley team was well coached. Uh, there were great shooters that you know they had assembled. You know, Danny Ainge was one of the main guys, but and Jeff Hornacek and um, Kevin Johnson. You know, they had a, a great team around Barkley, really built to win uh, and denied. But I think, too, you know, Barkley, when you talk about basketball IQ, he's not one of the guys that pops up at the top of your list. Like, who are some of the great basketball IQs of all time? Charles Barkley, no, doesn't roll off the tongue. And that matters so much in the finals where every possession and certainly at that time, not now there's so many possessions, but at that time when we had the games below 100 uh, in a lot of cases, basketball IQ mattered so much. And Barkley was a guy who would take the ball, and they've actually they've created a rule to stop this too, the Charles Barkley rule. He would just take the ball, and he would dribble and dribble and dribble and back into the, his defender and back into his defender and back in. It's like, man, if you would have the ball movement, that you see on the great teams, maybe the Suns would have had a championship. 
But when you got a ball stopper like that who doesn't understand ball movement, it makes it awfully hard. I mean, winning a championship is hard anyway, so hard, because so many things, one tip, one injury, so many things go into it. But when you have a, your star player doesn't get sort of some strong uh, basketball IQ, common sense kind of stuff, makes it that much harder. Bulls never made those mistakes. Well, Bill, we're getting down here in the, in the final minute really quick. Here are the guys that didn't win a championship against Jordan. Charles Barkley, Chris Mullen, um, John Stockton, Carl Malone. No, Clyde. Clyde remember, Clyde got one with Houston. Yeah, but Clyde he didn't win it against Houston. Jordan. Yeah. Oh, that's he, true. Yeah, okay, so, but he, yeah. yeah. But they, let's talk about never, yeah, never won a championship. And then Patrick. Never so, won a championship at all. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So, Bill, that's it for this week. We're down, like I said, down to the final couple seconds here. But next week, we're going to start the new format. Clyde Drexler will send out all the information. People can add the questions about it. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll scatter it around Houston, and then we'll, uh, we'll address it. Looking forward to it, my friend. It's going to be fun. All right, buddy. Yep, can't wait. All right, let's do it. All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Backsportspage.com for Bill Ingram. I'm Randy Zellia. We'll talk to you then.